2 Samuel 11 chapters, what uh, the scripture we'll be taking a look at this morning. The title of our lesson is David Fully Human. I'll give you this little introduction there. This really is David's story, and there's three points we're going to take a look at. David disengaged, and then David tries to, I put in control, it's more like he tries to gain control. And then God will enter the story. I'll go ahead and put that first point up there. You know, some have said that if you take 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, and you made it into a movie, it'd have to be R-rated for sex and violence. But yet there it is, contained in God's story, and it's preserved for us that we might be able to read that. So I want to give this qualifier as we take a look at this lesson this morning from 2 Samuel 11. 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16 and 17, says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God might be complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. All scripture given by inspiration of God for our benefit. Part of that is 2 Samuel 11. And so God wants us to read this. The Holy Spirit has preserved this. He wants us to learn from this. But as he has recorded this story from David's life for us, we have to take time to ponder it, to meditate upon it, to see the lessons that are there. And there are many, and we won't get them all this morning. (laughs) We'll get some of them. But it's an intriguing story. And it's an interesting story. It's an entertaining story. But God didn't put it there to entertain us. He put it there, as Paul suggests from 2 Timothy 3, that we we might learn from it. And one of the reasons that it's preserved is because this story is powerful. And this story touches people's lives, touches people's hearts, but it also reveals God's power to save in the depth of sin. You know, we take a look at this story and we say, well, there's there's lust and there's adultery. There's lying and deceit. There's murder. But I want to suggest to you, that's really the surface story. (laughs) The story that's really going on underneath is the story about a heart. (laughs) A heart that is cooled. A heart that has become cold. A heart that has become calloused. A heart that becomes dead. And then we see God intervene on David's behalf. And so what you see in this story about David is David as fully human. And so we want to keep that in mind as we take a look at 2 Samuel 11 chapter. We read verses 1 through 6 and that's just really kind of the lead in. And then we'll take a look at a good part of 2 Samuel 11, but we'll do it kind of in chunks so we can get all the way through it. And this story actually goes into 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, and that's kind of where we'll end up this morning. But I wanted to just tell you, we'll do that in large sections so that we don't have to work down through the entire thing verse by verse. 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, verse 1. It says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah. 
But David remained at Jerusalem. It's an interesting statement. Spring of the year, kings go off to war. David sends Joab, he sends the army, all of Israel, and they besiege the city and they fight against their enemies. But David, he stays home. And so we have to stop and we have to think about that right away. That's not the David that we know. <laughs> the David that we know previously is the David that is always engaged in the battle. But now this particular time, David decides that he's going to stay home. And we have to stop and kind of ponder that for a minute and think about that. Why is it that David is now staying home when everybody else is going out to battle the enemies? So let me ask you a question as we get into this. The battle is being fought. And would you say David is engaged or he's disengaged? Well, it certainly seems as though he's disengaged, does it not? <laughs> because the commander of his army and all of his army has gone off to fight the enemy and David has decided to stay home. Battle the battle's taking place here, David. And where are you? So at the same time, one of the lessons that we got to stop and think about is when the battle is being raged, when the battle is being fought, then we have to ask ourselves, are we engaged or are we disengaged? So let me just run this by you very quickly. Where's the battle being fought? Well, in this particular context, well, we say, well, that's being fought with the Ammon, and that's at Rabah. But we stop and make the application because it's been preserved for us. Where's the battle being fought in your life? Where's the battle being fought in your home? Where's the battle being fought in your community? Where's the battle being fought in your church? And the question is, are you engaged fighting for the Lord? And so we have to think about that. So as we take a look at this, first we say, well, this is not the David that I'm familiar with. Because the David that I'm most familiar with and that I was first introduced to, this is that son of Jesse <laughs> that as a young boy, he came out to check on his brothers who were engaged in the battle and he saw this Philistine, this giant that's challenging all of Israel and David speaks up and says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? <laughs> who is this? And David says, I'll fight him. <laughs> I'll engage him. I'll cut his head off. <laughs> and what's David do? He fights him. And he says, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a shield. And I come at you in the name of God. And David kills him. And he cuts his head off. That's the David that we're first introduced to. And he fights that enemy. And as the story has progressed, 
David is the one who has been anointed king. David is the one who is expanding the territory back to where it should be, the borders of God's kingdom. And now they have reached clear out to the north, and David, instead of going to secure the borders of the kingdom, he decides to stay home. And it's like, David, that's not like you. It's not the David that we've cheered for in the past. So let me ask you once again. Knowing David from the past, if you were there that day in Jerusalem, and as David is dispatching Joab, and he's dispatching Israel's army off to fight the enemy, and David's staying home, would you walk up to David, put your arm around his shoulder, and would you say, David, what's wrong? What's wrong, David? And what if he smiles and says, Oh, nothing. There's nothing wrong. Everything's fine. Would you say, No, David. Something's wrong. I want to stop for just a moment. You know, a lot of times in life, we have a tendency to think, what's some of the biggest challenges? Well, I want a roof over my head. I want food on the table. I want clothes on my back. I want my family taken care of. And those are some of the biggest challenges. And we think the greatest need is if that is threatened in any way, that that needs to be taken care of. But that's not really the biggest challenge in life. And that's not our biggest need. The biggest challenge in life that we have is sin. But let me suggest this to you also. That sin is a symptom. Sin is a symptom. Sin is transgression of God's law. We know that. But the question you've got to ask is why? Just like if you don't have a roof over your head, if you don't have food on the table, you're going to ask, why don't you have it? <laughs> and so we look at sin and we say, well, that's transgression of God's law, but you've got to ask the question, why? Because in this story we see sin, but we've got to ask ourselves, why? So sin is the biggest threat. But sin is a symptom. And you've got to ask why the sin is there. And you know what sin does? <laughs> it helps to reveal the symptom. It helps to reveal the weakness. It helps to reveal where we need to be made stronger. It helps to reveal that weakness and where we need to be healed. That's what it does. Romans 8 and verse 29, that those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's the goal. What keeps us from getting there?
That's what God wants to heal. We took a look at Simon the Sorcerer this morning from Acts the 8th chapter. Why is Simon acting like that? That's what needs to be healed. David previously has been referred to as a man after God's own heart. You remember when that was? That's when David was fighting for God's people. That's when David was fighting for God's cause. That's when David was fighting for the honor of his God. That's when David is a man after God's own heart. But now David has decided to stay home and we've got to ask ourselves why. Sometimes in life, challenges, difficulties can reveal weaknesses in our character. Sometimes success and blessings can reveal weaknesses in our character. So life has its ups and downs. David's life is no different than ours. And so we take a look at this. And we ask ourselves what the occasion is at this particular time in David's life. In times gone by, David was anointed as a young boy to be the next king of Israel. It wasn't long after that that David moved into the palace. And he played music for the king Saul. But it wasn't long after that either that Saul became jealous of David. You remember that? And Saul actually tried to take a spear and throw it at David that he might kill him. And David ends up having to flee. And in the meantime... David has a very good friend by the name of Jonathan, the king's son, and they've become close. Their hearts are knit together. But because of the threats from Saul, David's going to lose his place in the palace. David's going to lose his good friend, Jonathan. David is going to have to take his family and move them to a foreign land because he fears the king. David is going to be on the run and he's going to live in a cave. Challenges, difficulties in life, David faced them. But God brought him through them. Sometimes, difficulties in life can diminish our zeal for the Lord. I don't want to fight those battles anymore. That's what Paul says over in Galatians, the sixth chapter. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for we shall reap if we faint not. Did Paul know anything about difficulties in life? (laughs) He certainly did. And so sometimes that can be a real challenge. And Paul tries to encourage us, and we ought to try to encourage one another whenever people face, our brothers and sisters face difficulties. Don't give up. Keep fighting that battle. Fight the good fight. But sometimes, sometimes, success can diminish our zeal for the Lord and for His battles. And on this particular occasion, David stays home in the palace. David's had some success. 
just previous to 2 Samuel 11, we know that in the past year, the armies of Israel have had success against their enemies. And so now as we begin 2 Samuel the 11th chapter, it says one evening, David rises from his bed and actually the language would suggest this was probably a late afternoon nap. And so it's getting towards evening. It's not nighttime yet. It's getting towards that. And David decides to go for a stroll on the palace roof. And from up there, sort of tongue in cheek, David has a good view from up there. But you know what he has a good view of? David has a good view of the city. David has a good view of his leadership skills. David has a good view of his success. At this particular time in David's life, the nation is united. The economy is good. His military is on the move and gaining ground. And now, as he takes his leisure, and he goes for a stroll in the cool of the evening on the palace roof, here is a shepherd boy that is now king over a mighty nation and walking on his palace roof. There's an old saying about life. In that second stage of life. And what it says is that when you reach that second stage. And this is making reference to that point where you work hard lots of years. And then you finally get to that place where you're kind of comfortable. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) The old saying goes. When you get to the second stage. Make sure you don't mess up the first stage. A lot of truth to that. Success can be dangerous. And so what does David see from that roof? He sees his success. But that's not all he sees. He sees a beautiful woman. And the language that is used there is the same language that is used in regards to Esther. It's the same kind of language that is used in regards to Sarah. This is a woman of beauty. And David sees her. Stop and think a moment. So David had sent Joab and the armies off to battle the enemy. And David stays home. And so he goes up on the palace roof and he's taking a stroll. And what David doesn't realize, out of all the things that David sees, there's something that he doesn't see. David, as you start this leisurely stroll, you're walking towards a minefield, David. And you know who sees you, David? Satan sees you. 
Our adversary walketh about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's a man disengaged, taking a leisurely stroll, enjoying his success. Watch this. David will walk right into that minefield. So in verse 2, it tells us that he saw a woman and that she was very beautiful. Verses 2 through 4. 2 Samuel 11, beginning at verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the king's, king's house, on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers, and he took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. David sees this beautiful woman. He sends messengers to inquire about her. They tell him, and then he says, Go fetch her. Bring her to the king's chambers. And then he commits adultery with her. As you take a look at this section of scripture, the word sent, the verb that is used there, it's used some 11 times and almost every time, not every time, but almost every time, it's used in regards to David. David sends Joab. David sends the armies of Israel. David sends to inquire about Bathsheba. David sends someone to fetch her. David's the one that is in charge. David's the one that's doing all the sending. David is king. And when David speaks, people jump. And David says, go get her. Bring her to me. He's the one that's in control. He thinks. Until he realizes he isn't. Verse 5. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David, I'm a child. So now Bathsheba sins. Something else we need to notice as we kind of read down through this story. Here's David. And in times past, we've read about him. And his heart burns fiery hot for the Lord. Would you say at this moment that his heart is on fire for the Lord? Not hardly, would you? See, James explained Explains the progression of sin to us. Over in James, the first chapter, about verses 13 through 15, he says, Let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted by God. 
For every man is enticed and carried away by his own lusts. And so James explains to us, this is how it begins. This is how it progresses. And James will tell us that when sin is full-blown, it brings death. It brings death. So David sends Joab, armies of Israel, go fight the battles of God. I'm staying home. Do you think his heart has cooled? Maybe it doesn't burn quite as hot as it once did for his God's honor and against God's enemies. And so David stays home. And now he sins for Bathsheba. Verse 5, Bathsheba tells him, I'm with child. So what's David do? David's in control. Something's happened. Things are out of control. He's the king. And what's he want to do immediately? Verse 6, he wants to regain control. So you know what David does? Sends to Joab. And he tells Joab, send me Uriah. David's already committed a sin of lust. And now he's committed the sin of adultery. And right there at that moment when Bathsheba sent a message to him and told him, I was a child, that's when David should have stopped. But he didn't. And David is fully human. And we've got to stop and read this story and say, are we in that story? And so sometimes when we get caught up in sin, do we do the same thing that David is now going to try and do? This is a problem. I got to see if I can clean it up. And so David's going to commit another sin. Now he's going to try deception. <laughs> Send me Uriah. And Uriah comes home and what does David do? He makes small talk with him. How's it going? Uriah? How's Joab doing? Uriah? How's the battle going? How's the war going? Uriah? Uriah? Go down to your house. Enjoy the evening. Uriah doesn't go. You know what Uriah says? He says the ark and Joab and the army are in the open fields. They're engaged in battle. Isn't that interesting? Here's Uriah. You know what Uriah is? Uriah is a Hittite. He's not a Jew. He's a Hittite. And yet he's engaged. And he tells David, 
The ark is there. What does the ark represent? It represents the presence of God. David, stop and think about it. The presence is there. Is God with you right now, David? It's like David doesn't get the point. And he just keeps going. And Uriah is telling him at this moment in time, David, I'm more of a Jew than you are. <laughs> I'm concerned about the battle. And the ark is there. Joab is there. The army's there. But you, David, you're here. While they're there. So once again, we have to stop and ask ourselves. When God's people are engaged in the Lord's battles or in service to the Lord, where are we? Are we engaged or disengaged? Does it ever happen? The Lord is there. The Lord's people are there. They are engaged in service to the Lord. And I am here. Can we make the point? Does that ever happen? Yeah, it does. You know what Uriah does? He goes out and sleeps on the palace steps. He won't go home. I can't go home when I know God's people are out there. And so David finds out about that. And so he tells Uriah, he says, stay with me another day. And David's got another plan. And you know what the next plan is? I'll apply a little alcohol to the situation. <laughs> Maybe I can dull his senses to his sensitivity in serving God and God's people. Where's David's heart? First, it's cooled because he sends them. Now it's becoming flat out cold, isn't it? Have you ever seen that happen? We become disengaged from the Lord and we know somebody else that's engaged and we kind of want to dull their senses a little bit because if their senses to the Lord... And their desire to serve him can be dulled. Maybe that makes us feel a little better. And so David tells Uriah, stay with me. And he gets him drunk. Now there's another sin. And he says, go down to your house again. But Uriah doesn't go. And so when that doesn't work, you know what David does? David writes a letter. And he seals that letter. And then he gives that letter to Uriah. And he says, deliver this letter to Joab. And you want to know what that letter says? That letter is written to Joab telling Joab how to kill Uriah. Is that cold? You think David's heart isn't cold? 
you're handing that letter to the guy that you're going to kill and you know that he's honorable enough that he will not open that letter? (laughs) It doesn't get any colder than that. You stole his wife. She's now with child. You've brought him home to try to cover this up. You even tried getting him drunk. And when all of that has failed, here's a letter sealing your death delivered to Joab. In verse 25 of chapter 11, word is going to come back to David that finally you rise out of the picture. He gave the letter to Joab. Joab did as David instructed him. Lead Uriah into the heat of the battle. The only thing that kind of deviates there is David had told Joab, when you get in the heat of that battle, withdraw from him. But what Joab did He sent some of the best fighting forces and he sent them close to the city walls. He knew there was a real good chance Uriah would die there and he does. But the message come back and he says, there's some others that died also. David, based upon your instruction, this is what I did. Uriah is dead and there's some others that are dead also. Do you want to know how David responds? The sword takes one as well as another. (laughs) The poet of Israel waxes eloquent over the death of Uriah and various other ones. Oh, there's a point to be made there also. Spiritually speaking, there may be some folks dying, but I'm okay. (laughs) So I'm not that worried about it. It happens, you know. But I'm okay. I'm where I'm safe. You tell Joab, Keep fighting the battle. Take the city. It'll all be okay. David takes it all in stride. Verse 26. When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house. And she became his wife and bore him a son. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba now learns of his death and she mourns. But David, the man who writes a lot in the Psalms about lamenting, about grieving, He doesn't shed a tear. Not a tear. But Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, she mourns. 
And when David or when Bathsheba's time for mourning is over, David sins. The language there suggests, and then he collected her and brought her to his house. And she became his wife. David's in charge. Last part of verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. So now in chapter 12 and verses 1 through 14. Now God's going to step in. He's going to enter the picture. And now God is going to send his man. He's going to send his prophet Nathan to David. And so Nathan comes to David. And he's going to tell David just this simple story. And what Nathan wants David to do is to put himself, he will put himself, Nathan will help him, (laughs) put himself in this story. See, that's the same thing that God intends us to do when we read these Old Testament stories. It's not there for entertainment. It's like Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, it's there for our learning. Put yourself in the story. Can you see yourself? Can you see your heart? Can you see somebody else? Can you see their heart? And so now God sends Nathan, his prophet, to David, and Nathan tells him the story. There was a wealthy man, and he had a lot of sheep. He had large flocks. And then there were some guests that came to him. And so this wealthy man wants to feed them. But does he take from his flocks and feed his guests? You know what he does? He has a neighbor that is a poor man. And this neighbor has one little ewe lamb. And he loves that lamb. And he holds that lamb and he feeds that lamb and it says he treated it like a daughter. (laughs) And what does the rich man do? He takes that lamb, slaughters it, and feeds his guests. And when David heard that, he was enraged. And he said, such a man should be put to death. And right there at that moment, you know what Nathan said? You're the man. So in verses 12, or 7 through 12, Nathan will explain to David how God has blessed him. There's that success. He made you king. He gave you wives. And if that wasn't enough, he would have given you more. And then Nathan tells David that there's going to be consequences for his actions. Consequences that will come from that sin. And in verse 14, finally, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. You know the truth that David became aware of at that moment? 
he became aware of the truth of Hebrews, the fourth chapter and verse 13, where it says that we are naked and bare before the eyes of the one with whom we have to do. There's nothing that escapes God's view is what he is telling him. So in all of David's scheming, in all of his efforts to cover up the sin, he now realizes it didn't escape the Lord. You may have fooled some people, David, but you didn't fool God. And so David's heart, which at times past had burned hot for the Lord, we see it become cool. And then we see it become cold. And then we see it become calloused. And then we see it dead. That's what James is saying. Sin, when it is full born, brings death. At that moment, David's heart is dead. But then God sends his prophet, Nathan, with this story. And David is dead in sin. And when he tells him this story, and when David responds and says, that man deserves to die, Nathan says, you're the man. Right there. He's brought back to life. You want to know what that's like? I've never seen it in person. But I've watched it on TV. (laughs) A person is laying on a gurney. Their heart has stopped. They are dead. And they say, get the paddles. Apply them to the chest. Hit them with everything you got. We got to bring them back. God says, Nathan, you go hit him. And you hit him with this story. Because he's dead in sin. And I got to bring him. I got to bring him back. Verse 14, David says, I sinned. You know what that's like? He's alive. He's alive. I sinned against the Lord. You know what God does immediately? He has Nathan tell David, you will not die because he should have been physically put to death for this. You will not die You've been forgiven. 
not only does he bring him back to life, he gives him reason once again to serve him. You've been forgiven. So what's the lessons from the story? Well, there's a lot of them. I'm just going to give you three quick ones. Because <laughs> there's a lot. First of all, we have to come to understand that sin is personal. A lot of times what we do is we give kind of the definition, the technical application of sin. And we say 1 John 3 and verse 4 that sin is transgression of God's law. Well, that's true. It is. But it's more than that. It's a violation of the relationship. It's a violation of the God who created you. It's a violation of the God who loves you desperately and wants to be in a relationship with you. It's a violation of the God who wants to be your lover and you to love Him. And you see what David did? He exchanged one lover for another. He had had a love for God. And he gave it up. And God said, I want you back. That's the first point. Sin is a violation of God's law. It's a violation of the relationship. But secondly, sin is deceptive. You know, I was reading here recently. Computers get viruses, right? Everybody that owns one knows that. Computers get viruses. You want to to know what one of the most dangerous viruses is? It's the virus that attacks your antivirus. (laughs) Because if they could send a virus to attack the antivirus program on your computer, then they send other viruses and your antivirus doesn't even realize it's being attacked. You want to know what your antivirus is? It's your conscience. But if your conscience gets dulled, if it grows cold, then it's easy to attack. And that's what we see with David. Success had dulled his senses. Satan saw it. He was waiting. And having his senses dulled, David went from cold or cool to cold to calloused to dead. And God had to bring him back. Sin's deceptive. And then thirdly, sin is ugly. Sometimes we would say we don't even want our kids reading this story. It's sex, it's violence, this is ugly. But God records it so that we can see how sin, how ugly sin is. And God will tell David, you're not going to die, and you're forgiven, but he tells him this. The sword will not depart from your house. David, because of your sin, there's consequences. And it's going to affect your life and it's going to affect your family. And as we continue through the book of 2 Samuel, we'll see how that all plays out. And let me tell you, it's ugly. 
and David will regret the day he stayed. He stayed home. Now let me ask you once again. If you'd have been there that day, would you have gone up to David, put your arm around his shoulder, and say, David, what's wrong? And if he said, oh, nothing, then would you say, yeah, David, something's wrong. Because you're not engaged. And it's the same for us. Romans, the fifth chapter, and verse 12. Romans, the fifth chapter, verse 20. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Isn't that what you see in the story of David? Oh, sin abounded. But grace abounded all the more. That's the message of the Scripture. That's being fully human. That we chase after other lovers. But God comes looking for us. And he wants to bring us back to spiritual sensitivity. Back to spiritual life. That's the story from 2 Samuel 11 and first part of chapter 12. I want to extend the invitation to any and all that are here this morning. If you've never rendered obedience under the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's Jesus himself who has said... He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that disbelieves shall be condemned. If you're a child of God and if your heart is cool or grown cold and you need to come back and make your relationship right with Him, that's why we're here. The invitation is yours. While together we stand and while we sing.